Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. is the Pitchfork Review. I'm Pooja Patel, the editor-in-chief. On this week's show, a diehard Swifty, a retired Gen Z Swifty, and a Taylor skeptic convene to share our takes on the Eras tour film and the larger cultural phenomenon that has been the year in Taylor Swift. This record-breaking concert doc, which pulled in well over $100 million in its opening weekend alone, gave legions of fans an accessible version of the already record-breaking Eras tour via a two-hour and 48-minute romp through the many phases of Taylor's 17-year career. Joining me today is Pitchfork's resident Swifty, executive editor Amy Phillips, and also here is associate editor Kat Zhang. How are y'all doing? Great. <laughs> Happy to be here. As we were talking about earlier, we have a self-ascribed Gen X slash geriatric millennial in That's the room. Me. Hi. A begrudging Gen Z Swifty. I'm a 20-something, okay? I'm not 15. <laughs> And I'm the right down the line millennial. And the reason that I mention this is because I really feel like Taylor's career has been so fucking long that how you entered into the world of Taylor matters. I grew up with Taylor. Me too. First artist I ever really remember consciously listening to. Is that true? Yes. I was there day one, Tim McGraw. Think my head on your chest. My parents had like a boring Christmas party in which you get forced to talk to like other children your age. Mm-hmm. And one of them showed me the Tim McGraw music video. So then we did a dive into that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to say like eight or nine. Oh my God. I spent too much of this show, like, laughing in disbelief whenever Kat <laughs> reveals the age he was. Every single Kat episode it. is like, Kat, the Generation Z. <laughs> um, Amy, what was your, like, first real entry point to Taylor? So I was uh, about the age you are now, Kat, when uh, <laughs> Taylor Swift first became famous. I wasn't really paying attention with the first album, though. I was already working at Pitchfork. Also Um, wild. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And country was just not, like, on my radar. I will say the first thing that caught my eye and ear was You Belong With Me. I mean, Mm -hmm. love story. I heard it. I hated it. I thought (gasps) it was garbage. (gasps) Um, Uh, But then You Belong With Me, I was like, okay, this is cute. I was also like, no, actually, you are the cheer captain, like, mm-hmm. oh my God. You know, um, but I thought it was a very well written song. <laughs> I 
really would speak now that I was like, okay, this person is actually a really good songwriter. First of all, like, put some respect on Love Story's name. <laughs> that is one of my top five Taylor songs. Oh, my God. That's a take. Yeah. That's a real take. But I think it's because, what, when did that come out? 2000? Like nine, I want to say. Somewhere between 2008 and 2009. Yeah, 2008 was the album. And that was like the first nostalgia I had for high school because I had just graduated college. And did you have like a Romeo character in your life that you sort of (laughs) pin this song to? Always. (laughs) (laughs) And I have for like many years since. And it's always a different Romeo. (laughs) Something that I I have been thinking about when thinking about Taylor is like we have described her between us as this kind of monolith of culture in that almost anything she does is worth noting in the news or across social media or whatever. It becomes a thing. I think she was one of the last young people to get brought up into the like bigger realm of music and pop culture and become like this darling mm. without having the internet. Yeah, it was all country radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So she was like the last of that era for yeah. young people, I think. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. And I wonder if that is what has given her roots that are this deep, you know, like people remember something that was offline about her. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I definitely remember like driving to Target so I could get like the special editions of her CDs that have like the pamphlets and all of the like like you wanted to get the lyrics books so then you could crack the code of what messages she had for each song and mm-hmm. there is something kind of analog and nostalgic about and her. That's still the yeah, case. Definitely. I mean, she's still releasing those Target <laughs> exclusives. And let me just be on the record and say I'm tired about hearing about Travis Kelsey. I don't want to know about football. And yet it bombards (laughs) the Twitter timeline. Okay. So wait, is your protest of football? I just like having witnessed so many Taylor boyfriends, I feel like the recent wave of Taylor boyfriends have been so uninteresting to me, including... Her most recent beau. Wait, 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 wait. Maddie Healy is many things, but I would say not interesting is not one of them. (laughs) I think he just wasn't, you know, in his role as Taylor Swift's boyfriend, he wasn't that interesting. But because she has such a monolithic presence, anytime she strolls out holding hands with someone, regardless of who you are or whether you want to engage with it, you will get a million photos of her and football boyfriend on the timeline. But I do have a maybe answer to how we got here, because I feel like people were not so united behind Taylor, even around like the lover era when she released oh, yeah. Me mm-hmm. and You Need to Calm Down. You know, the landscape felt more fractured for her. And I'm just like, hey, are you OK? And I ain't trying to mess with your self-expression, but I've learned a lesson that's stressing and obsessing about somebody else's no fun. And then we were in the pandemic. She released Folklore and she got a huge wave of fans who, A, were kind of bored during the pandemic and needed something to listen to. And B, found her more respectable because this was more of her indie album. Which, of course, features songs like Last Great American Dynasty, August, Cardigan, and my personal favorite, Betty. But if I just showed up at your party, would 
Would you have me? Would you want me? Would you tell me to go fuck myself or lead me to the garden in the garden? And so when you have this entry point into the Taylor universe, and then she has so many albums and so many Easter eggs, and just like there's so much to dive into that you could spend all your time in the Taylor universe, in Swift Talk. And so I think that's when the powers of the fandom really started heightening. It just got more crazy during the pandemic because I think people didn't have as much to do and they wanted to cluster around something. Absolutely. I have seen that firsthand with so many friends of mine who were way too cool for Taylor, got into her with Folklore and Evermore, then going back. And I think the fact that she is also going through this re-records project Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the same time as releasing these new albums has really been stoking the flames of people going back and rediscovering her catalog, of course. The Folklore, then Evermore, then immediately followed by the Red re-release with the All Too Well 10-minute version. Mm-hmm. Another, you know, high watermark of her critical acclaim. You who charmed my dad with self-effacing jokes Sipping coffee like you're on a late-night show but then he- Just made up this, like, perfect storm of respectability for Taylor Swift. So obviously there was a ton of excitement and conversation around the Eras tour itself. Well, as I wrote in my piece, I think it was 3.5 million people registered for the Ticketmaster presale for, I think it was 900,000 tickets. So there's already all this pent-up demand. And then let's say you didn't get tickets on Ticketmaster. You went, okay, I'm going to try the secondary market. And then tickets were... Averaging a price of $3,000, as we reported in our Price of Pop fandom piece. So there are a lot of Taylor Swift fans who did not get to go to this tour. It, it can be, you know, seen in a benevolent way as, okay, I, you couldn't get the tour. I'm going to bring the tour to you. Mm-hmm. Whether that's And make true. 57% right, exactly, of the ticket exactly. price. <laughs> right, right, right. I'd make a lot of money in the process. Right, uh-huh. right, right. Of course. When it went on sale, when the concert doc tickets went on sale, what happened? I think they sold very quickly. I mean, there were reports that it was completely sold out everywhere, but I mean, they just kept adding more screenings. And then, of course, the two days before, she said, actually, I'm opening the movie a day early. Classic. (laughs) It felt a little Black Mirror seeing that photo of Taylor and Beyonce. I definitely thought it was fake the first time I saw it. (laughs) As I said, two queens coming together to maximize their joint sleigh. I I wonder if they're friends. Uh, No. Um, Okay, so let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the film itself. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with the romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman. And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people and a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about this film itself. Yes. So it was filmed at SoFi Stadium. She did six shows there in August. It's unclear how many of those shows were filmed. It was more than one night, though. It was several nights. 
it's the exact set list of the tour with some cuts Mm -hmm. because the show is three and a half hours long and that would probably be a little much. Uh, The theory, though, that I put in my review was that there is going to be a director's cut of some kind, Mm -hmm. which is going to be the full concert with like bonus footage. So, Amy, you've seen this show live twice. Yes. At your own will. Yes. So here in New York, I had extreme nosebleed seats, like 10 rows from the top of the stadium. Oh, can I correct something from a previous podcast? So on the Price of Pop fandom episode, um, it was mentioned that I spent several hours in the Ticketmaster online queue to buy tickets for the Eras tour. The implication being that it was for my six-year-old daughter. That is not true. Those tickets were for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then you went again. Yes, then I went again. In Chicago, I was very fortunate that a friend had an extra seat that was about 10 rows from the stage itself. Whoa. So, Amy and Kat, you went to see the film together. What was the vibe like? I think we have different takes on what the vibe was like. (laughs) We should talk about the crowd first. In the theater... There were girls absolutely losing their shit. They cheered when she came on. There were periodic screams of like, I love you, like, go Taylor. And then a bunch of, I would say like they were like tweens and teens, like gathered in front of the screen. And they were just like bopping around and singing their hearts out. And people were really singing. Like some points, like they were singing so loud that like they drowned Taylor herself out. But it was really like an immersive activity And I actually think that their performance made the experience better for me because at least there was, like, a little bit more amusement. You could watch other performers besides Taylor. Yes. (laughs) And, like, I like to dance. Like, if there's any live music that's playing, like, I will bop around. Mm -hmm. So I just felt like it aligned with my spirit. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say the crowd was pretty homogeneous. It was mostly white women of very varying ages, though. I don't know if you noticed this, but the row in front of us was all senior citizens. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They were not up and dancing uh, so much. Um, Were they guardians? No, they were were just there. I mean, they were probably in their 70s, and they were all just there together. You know, instead of the book club, let's go see the Taylor Swift movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Sick. (laughs) There were also, there were several mother-daughter combos. One really sweet moment that I saw was After the film, a group of, like, tweens and their moms, when our movie ended, ran out and immediately ran into another theater that was showing the movie to watch it again. Oh, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was very cute. Um, That is concerning to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so this tour is a tour of the eras. Yes. Of (laughs) Taylor Swift. Yes, let me explain how we're doing. Yes, please, please. Okay. So it's not structured like your usual concert set list where they play one song from this album, then another song from this album. You know, it's, okay, we start out, we're in the Lover era. She plays five songs from Lover. Then the stage clears. Um, In the film, literally, the name of the album comes up, and then it says Fearless. And then she plays the Fearless era, mm-hmm. and so on and so on and so on. And there are different costumes. There's different sets. Mm-hmm. There's different everything for each era. Mm-hmm. It's frankly... I mean, just from a technical standpoint, just overwhelming. Like, mm-hmm. I really want some sort of behind-the-scenes documentary about how they pulled this off. Yeah. I mean, I've been to a lot of stadium shows. I've been to a lot of really big shows. And this just the, like, technical wizardry of it was just astounding. Can we very quickly list out the eras? I would be thrilled if Kat says an era 
and Amy says the vibe and the song. Okay. Okay. This is a game show. All right. Lover. So it's sunset. Mm-hmm. It's very pastel-colored, happy, upbeat, lovey. The highlight is Cruel Summer, which has, thanks to this tour, become a hit. It was never released as a single. Now it's a hit. It's really the first moment of everybody singing along together. And during Cruel Summer, she says something like, I heard you guys know this bridge. Prove it. And she, like, dares them <laughs> uh-huh. to just, like, scream along to this song. The Lover era drove me crazy because she acts like she's, like, this children's musician who knows that she's about to, like, blow the brains of, like, six-year-olds or something. This is a movie for the masses. It's a tour for the masses. It's for, you know, 80,000 people a night. There's no subtlety. There's no deep subtext. Mm -hmm. Okay, next. Next era. Fearless. So... Definitely my favorite part of this, which is all sparkles, shimmery guitar, uh, let's go back to high school, heart with the hands. My favorite part, honestly, actually was Love Story because she was just having so much fun at how ridiculous it was. She was kind of rolling her eyes the entire time. We love a self-aware queen. I'm also just now noticing that Amy is wearing an anti-hero t-shirt. I am am indeed. So, all right, next. Evermore. Evermore tied maybe for my favorite era. We're in the woods. It's autumn. Willow is very witchy. Everyone's wearing hoods. They are holding um, glowing orange orbs that look like pumpkins. (laughs) Pretty awesome. Marjorie, which is a song about her late grandmother, is actually quite beautiful and quite moving. If I didn't know better, I think you were still around. What died didn't stay dead. What died didn't stay dead. One thing that was left out of the film, which I actually really missed, was at the end of that song, a sample of her grandmother's voice plays. And in the two shows that I saw, and I think in other shows as well, when the song ends, she said, you know, my grandmother was an opera singer and it would have been her dream to perform at this stadium. And now she kind of did. But that's cut out of the film. That was a really beautiful moment. Reputation. So Reputation was the best era. I agree. Best era in the documentary. That's wild. Not in terms of like... The songs. But the fits. Just like. The fit is amazing. <laughs> she just goes ham and there's like in the documentary you see like this giant snake slithering around the Yeah, it's like CGI like, snake. That's not, that was not part of the actual <laughs> yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah, of course. And the absolute highlight of that is Look What You Made Me Do, where she just totally lets loose, you know, just headbanging. Just doing this like convulsive dancing. How does that song even go again? Mm. You look, look what you made, made me, me do. do. Look, look what, what you made, made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. 
look what you just yeah. made me do. Like that. So bad. <laughs> so bad. Okay, but that music video was amazing. And this was yeah. the highlight? Yes. It was just, yes. like, fun. Like, I, 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 yeah. Okay, on to the yes. next. <laughs> Speak Now. So Speak Now gets short drift in the Aris tour. She yes. only plays one song in the film, which is Enchanted. It's very sparkly. She's in this big, ridiculous dress that looks like a pastry. And I felt a little cheated by that. Enchanted, great song, love it. Not a highlight of the film. Okay, so at this point in the Speak Now era, that's when I started getting really fatigued because it's like, wow, this documentary is so long. So then I decided that I would exit the theater for a bit to get a beer and just kind of like have a chill moment to myself before I re-entered to see how much I could weather the rest of the documentary. So many, (laughs) (laughs) so much left to watch. But my nicer other thing to add to this is that I think the Speak Now World Tour was like maybe the first concert I ever went to. And I did make my own t-shirt with puff paint that like had the lyrics to long live but I like didn't dry before I got into the car (laughs) so I got some of the puff paint like on the seatbelt core memory (laughs) Um, (laughs) also an extremely teen memory (laughs) Uh, red so while you were off getting a beer this was the one time that I actually got up and danced during All Too Well which is classic song one of my favorites she performs the 10 minute version very magical to be in a huge room of people yelling fuck the patriarchy just mm-hmm. just great and you would in me the car keys fuck the patriarchy the ground we were always skipping but yeah you know that's red folklore folklore has a cabin a literal cabin on stage that she performs inside of was it like the grammys performance yes it's very much like the grammys performance mm. exactly yeah The highlight is August into the Illicit Affairs Bridge, which has become a TikTok meme of people kind of racing through their houses with wind blowing on them. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very dramatic. So by this point, I was really actively plotting to leave the theater because, like, I wanted to, I don't know, go to my friend's birthday party. Um, (laughs) On to the next. 1989. So 1989 is kind of space age, futuristic themed. Mm -hmm. The highlight is definitely blank space in which, if you remember the music video, she destroys a car with Mm -hmm. golf clubs. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is, like, a video screen of a car, and her and her dancers all have these, like, neon golf clubs. That era had the best music videos. Okay, on to the next. surprise set if you want to talk about that yeah so then um is the acoustic set Mm -hmm. this is where the song from the self-titled appears self-titled does not get its own era Mm. um so she plays our song our song is a slamming screen door sneaking out late tapping on your window yeah exactly (laughs) and he says our song is a slamming screen door sneaking out late tapping on your window when we're on the phone and you talk real slow and then she plays You're On Your Own Kid, which is from Midnight's on piano. 
And it's a nice bookend of her career, you know, mm-hmm. first song, last song. And then I assume we've got Midnight's. Mm-hmm. Yes, Midnight's, uh, her most recent album is The Final Era. And the highlight there is not the burlesque dance during Vigilante shit, which is kind of the most viral moment. Mm-hmm. I think the highlight there is actually Mastermind. Whoa. Uh, it's a lot of visuals about dominoes and her dancers all falling down in lines and, you know, her being a mastermind. Mm-hmm. I laid the groundwork and then just like clockwork, the dominoes cascaded in a line. What if I told you I'm a mastermind? And so the film ends after 10 long eras of dancing with pumpkins and golf clubs and such. Fade to black, no speech, no nothing. Well, then it goes to the credits. Uh-huh. And it's all, you know, fans with their outfits and friendship bracelets, etc. And then the very last thing is, you know, this film is dedicated to my fans. I love you. Etc. Right. Was it was it worth it? Would you recommend? I would recommend it if you are a hardcore Swifty. If you are not, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think one of the TikTokers should just condense it into a twenty second video, and then I'll watch that. Okay, cool. <laughs> We're gonna take a break and then come back and kind of talk about what this all means. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. One thing I want to talk about is how... One, there seems to be a renaissance of the concert doc. Pun intended. Yes. Beyonce is putting one out on December 1st, Yes, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we also, in this podcast, talked to the Talking Heads who were yes. promoting their remastering of Stop Making Sense. Taylor has done this before. Like, Taylor yes. has taped her tours before. Mm-hmm. This is not new. No. Why do we think that this one is different? And, like, what could it mean for just, like, the financial livelihood of artists and also the, like, fan experience? I I do think this is going to be the beginning of a new era, pun intended, of wide theatrical releases for concert films. Mm -hmm. We're going to see a lot of this. It's just another revenue stream, and it's fan service. I could see Madonna doing it for her current tour. Mm-hmm. Travis Scott, maybe. Drake. Billie Eilish. I mean, why not? So the film cost apparently around $15 million to make and to date has taken in a little under $95 million domestically and $31 million internationally, there you go. which is <laughs> insane. Um, Taylor is making over half of the ticket price. That on its own is like $60 million Yeah, <laughs> for Taylor Swift. In a weekend. She went outside of the studios and went direct to like national widespread distribution. Do you see this being something that other artists are capable of doing that are not at her level of fame? Not at that level. You know, I could see someone at a slightly smaller level doing it to, you know, indie theaters or something. Um Beyonce's doing the same thing, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Adele maybe could do it. Mm-hmm. I bet Bad Bunny could do it. But there are few artists. 
I wonder whether the landscape will become too oversaturated because we like before this wave of concert docs, we are already seeing a lot of general artist docs. Maybe it's just like catering to the super fans, but I have to say I'm like a little fatigued by it already. I think as long as there's fan demand, it'll keep happening. As artists make zero money from their recorded music, it's another way to make money, you know? I will say as a very big Taylor Swift fan, yeah. being able to relive this extremely joyful moment of being at the concert, you know, for $20 was amazing. It was great. I'm probably going to go again this weekend and take my daughter. Are you serious? Yeah. And I will not. <laughs> um, that is wild. Like I wrote in my piece, uh. um, like many people and a lot of people my age, you know, I'm in my early 40s. Taylor Swift has been a really big part of our pandemic mm-hmm. 2020s escapism and entering her universe with all of its conspiracies and rich texts. You know, it's like studying the Talmud or something. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, mm-hmm. there's there's so much there and it's just a great way to give your brain something else. I mean, I, I have this conversation with other moms a lot. Mm-hmm. It just brings us a lot of joy that is lacking in the world. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me end with this. What does Taylor do from here? She's done something that sounds definitive. She's done the theater release. She is reissued and or is reissuing all of her music. What happens now? Taylor Swift, Fred again, Fortet, Skrillex, World Tour. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think her next thing is going to be movies. She has signed a deal to direct a feature film. Ooh. She's directed a lot of her music videos, all the ones for Midnight, uh, All Too Well, the quote, short film, <laughs> etc. So Taylor goes to Hollywood is the next step. Yeah. I genuinely musically am curious about what happens next for her. I think there's the very real possibility of Country Taylor returning. Yeah. It is in the air that we are going to move in that direction with our pop stars for 2024-2025. Maybe she makes a movie about country music. Or football. Duet with Peso Pluma. Okay. (laughs) Let's not. All right. Thank you so much for being here and talking, Taylor. I actually feel like we're leaving as a aspirational Gen X, a current Gen Z Swiftie at heart, deep inside, and someone who will not see the movie until I have a kid of my own. (laughs) Fair. Fair. Well, thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. The Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. Mark Yoshizumi, Elia Einhorn, and Katie Lau with 3DB are our producers. Ryan Domble is our showrunner, and Jessica Gramulia is our music supervisor. You can read Amy's review of the Eras tour film at pitchfork.com. Thanks for listening. 